are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Monday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show podcast here on Westwood One. That would be me. I have been pounding halls the last two days, man. I was a good boy last weekend with Michigan in the NCAA tournament. My voice was much stronger on Monday. The moneymaker. But that final final eight game got a little closer than I was thinking there at the end. <laughs> so I'm trying to bring it back. Thankfully, we got a full house here. Todd and Aaron are here with us. We would love it if you would join us as well. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. And we just wrapped up production for today's CRTV show. Let's give the audience a little taste of what's to come. Todd. Um, for my money... Uh, fake news or not is an absolute must-see. It is tough medicine. It is brutal uh, medicine. It is a it's a spinal tap, quite frankly. Um, but the fact that it comes uh, at Holy Week means that um, through that darkness, there's light on the other side. If only we have the courage to do what must be done. Aaron, what other show promotes darkness? By the way, yeah, we well, got this um, one segment. It's really depressing. You don't want to miss it. Who does that? <laughs> yeah. People, no one that's no one that's not richer than us. That's who. Yeah, yes. that's true. Yeah, uh, we have a new ally here in the conservative movement because whatever that is, uh, it, it, conservative movement is like bowel movement now. I mean, that's that's the type of movement it is. But we have a new ally, um, and she is she is unexpected. So I'll just leave it there. Otherwise, our roundtable with Rob, you know. Um, that was also dark and depressing as well. So tune in. Well, our goal is to actually sell subscriptions, I think, right? That's why when you use promo code DACE, we make sure to tell you, you don't just get our show. Hell, you don't even have to ever watch it if you don't want to. All right. You can you get all the other shows that are much peppier, much more optimistic, funnier, wittier, better looking, and popular. So CRTV.com, promo code DACE, which will give you access to all of the programming you'd probably really want to watch. And then other programming like us gets thrown in where we promote Hello Darkness, my old friend. <laughs> That's what we do. Monday, Monday, Monday. CRTV.com, promo code DACE. I want to thank all of you that have already clicked subscribe here on the podcast on Westwood One. I'm a little subdued because I got to save my voice. All right. So I'm doing my best here. I'm a little subdued. But uh, promo code DACE for CRTV.com. And then if you haven't yet done so here on, on iTunes or Stitcher or Podbay, if you could click subscribe, the more of you do that, that helps to grow 
our podcast. If and, and thank you to those of you that already have. Uh, if, if you could leave us a positive review, that also helps to grow our podcast. And many of you have already done that as well. So thank you to all of you that uh, are doing whatever you can to help us spread the word. And if you're willing to do that and, and chime in and add your voice to a growing list of Americans who uh, are looking for Abandon Hope, All Ye Who Enter Programming, we appreciate you as well. I just saw this. And this is Holy Week. And we're going to talk a lot about that on the podcast this week. We are going to do a Holy Week themed show every day this week. Uh, so today is Weekend News and Views on a Monday. And we're going to look at the big weekend headlines from a Holy Week perspective, such as what would Jesus say? And we know, how can you dare know what Jesus would say? Well, he wrote it all down. So we know exactly what he would say. I don't know what he would say. I just am going to plagiarize what he actually said, right? I'm not telling you we have some, like, we called him up. We had a direct conduit. Although if you're a believer, you kind of do have a direct conduit. It's just not that direct, all right? You're not a stenographer, all right? We didn't get a quote. We just, uh, we... He left. He wrote it all down for us already, so we already have the quotes. And the reason we're doing this for Holy Week, we've never done it before. I'm doing a series of articles for Conservative Review this week about what Palm Sunday means, what Easter means, uh, what Good Friday means, and what it means for us today. Because it is very clear, spiritual ignorance is rampant in America today. Almost as if this was queued up for us. I saw this exchange on my Twitter feed right as we were starting the show. There's this tweet from a guy named Pastor Greg Locke, Locke, I should say, Greg Locke, Mount Juliet, Tennessee. I'm looking at his Twitter feed right now. And his, um, his biography is Outspoken Pastor, Expository Preacher. What does expository mean? It means he is preaching right out of the Word of God, line by line, verse by verse. Not topically. He says he's unashamed of the gospel, so that's a quote from Paul in Romans. I preach, I give, I ride mountain bikes, I run. It's kind of a cool biography, right? He's got over 28,000 Twitter followers. That's about half of what I have. So this is a guy that has a following. And he tweeted the following. At 11.13 last night. People are like, if you support Trump, you can't be a Christian. Do you all listen when you talk? Jesus hired a demon-possessed traitor to handle his money for three years. He can use the president if he so desires. Take a seat, people. Eric Erickson at The Resurgent responded to Pastor Greg Locke with this. That traitor betrayed him, leading to his torture and execution. Your future is looking up, evangelicals. Yeah, Eric was being charitable. This is Christian Twitter, okay? Now, I've never heard of this pastor before, and I looked at it. I looked, you know, I'm always telling my students, and that's one of the reasons I got to save my voice, I got to go teach my class. Um, 
I always tell my students, text without context is pretext, right? So whenever they ask me a question about the scriptures, well, what does this verse mean? I always tell them, what, read, read it in the context of the chapter it's in. Read the first few verses before it, the several few verses after it, at least to start with. Text without context is pretext. So I wanted to get the, 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 pre, the context, because of, of, I'm sure there's somebody in this audience that knows this guy and thinks he's great. And I've never heard of him, and I don't want to, you know, I kind of feel like my, one of our star players, Charles Matthews, was asked about Sister Jean at Loyola, who's sort of captivated America the last couple of weeks. That uh, 98-year-old nun who was the chaplain at Loyola, Chicago. And they asked him uh, what he thought about going up against Sister Jean's team, and he's like, no disrespect, I don't. I've been watching so much film, practicing so much, focusing on our team. I don't know who Sister Jean is, okay? So... Similarly, no disrespect here. This guy may be a great guy. I don't know. And, and when I looked at it, and I, I looked at several of, of the, his most recent tweets before I addressed this one, and they seem pretty right on the money, pretty orthodox. So I, I, I wonder if he's being sarcastic, okay? You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. If, I wonder if he's being like, yeah, absolutely. Surround yourself with terrible people. I mean, Jesus did it. I mean, he let a traitor handle his money. I mean, even because... I, I cannot. I, I don't want to believe a guy who appears to be as smart as he is has so many partisan blinders on. He didn't realize he just used the word traitor in an affirmative sense in a tweet. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So I think it's entirely possible this was sarcasm. I, I'm, that's my disclaimer. But if it's not. That exchange reminds me of several I had last year or the last election. Trump is Nebuchadnezzar. How many history lessons did we have to do on who Nebuchadnezzar really was? You guys remember those? You were here for many of them. Yeah. The idea that Nebuchadnezzar is now an affirmative comparison. Okay. This is going on within the religious community. This is these conversations are happening among faith leaders. And the faithful. What kind of conversations do you guys think are happening amongst the faithless? What, what are the pagans doing? I think they're not even having these conversations at all. I, I think there is profound ignorance about many of the spiritual traditions and truths that inspired this country in the first place. And so in honor of Holy Week this week, we're going to do our, our part in our little sliver of the universe here to try and um, do informative podcasting as opposed to infotainment, Holy Week related. So Aaron, we're going to begin by tackling the big headlines from over the weekend and responding with, based on God's revealed word, what we think Jesus would say about these stories. Are we sure we want to do this? You know, it sounded a lot better when I suggested this last Thursday, but now that we're here, I'm like, it was good in theory. My default is get behind me, Satan. Yeah. Uh, the president of the United States had sex with a porn star. Go. <laughs> when Oh, when he was married. Also, he compared that porn star to his daughter. Uh... And uh, it was unprotected.
This sounded great in theory on Thursday. I suggested it. You guys were all like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. He who idea. is without sin shall cast the first stone. No, no, that's not going to work. Let, let, let me say this from the outset. I think it's important. I, I think there's a good chunk of our audience that has never really read or studied the Bible. And if you haven't, one of the things about it that'll blow you away, it did me the first time I, I truly sat down to study it, is how honest God is. I know because balance is something we as Christians have often struggled with. And we tend to go from one, in, one extreme of licentiousness, antinomianism, which just means you can do whatever you want now that God saved you. You can live however you want, okay? To hyper-prudishness, legalism. Well, uh, you know, God's law is not enough, so don't dance either. Don't do this either. Attend this one specific school, right? Th- these tend to be the extremes we run to and, and model all too often to the world at large. What will blow you away, though, if you read God's word and take it at face value is how honest God is. There is some brutal honesty. At, at, one, at one point, God is so frustrated with the spiritual betrayal of his own people that through the prophet Ezekiel, he compares them to uh, voluptuous, adulterous, scandalous women who lusted after their paramours, their lovers, and says their lovers had penises like donkeys and they ejaculated like horses. It's the last time you heard a sermon on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think if I ever attended a church. I'm where, Catholic. The, an, <laughs> the answer is I didn't. Have I ever been in a church where I heard an expository series on Ezekiel? This might be why. Can you imagine if that was the scripture reading in many evangelical churches on a Sunday morning, what would happen? Uh, well, well, I know I for never. me, I'd look like a Pentecostal. Praise Jesus! <laughs> the, I can promise you this. The population of the first four rows, which is usually where the older people sit, all dead. <laughs> all dead. Okay. Um, and that's not, a, that's not an idle occurrence. Some of the Jewish rabbinic traditions would not permit the reading of Song of Songs or Song of Solomon to men under, the, under adult age. And not like bar mitzvah adult age, like 18, 19, 20. Because it was considered a tale of erotic love between a husband and a wife, and they did not want to titillate them. There's an incredibly sad story in the book of Judges, where a priest arrives in a town with his concubine. Now, I just said priest, holy man, with a concubine, a sex slave. The priest arrives in town with his concubine. The townspeople rape her to death throughout the night. They rape her to death. 
He is so despondent that they have raped his sex slave, as if he has some form of moral high ground here. She was meat to you, not a person. He chops her up into her dead body into 12 pieces, one for every tribe, and sends a piece of her body to every tribe in Israel, decrying the act that was done to his sex slave. You brought your kids home and you asked them, so what'd you guys learn in Sunday school? And they ran that lesson down as a parent. What would most of you do? Lose your poo. That's what you do. It's right out of the scriptures. Joseph has a woman that wants to jump his bones. He refuses. Ends up in prison. The scriptures are exceedingly honest. To the point of a man who attempts to avoid his Levitical demand, his the lawful demand, the kinsman redeemer law, that he is supposed to take care of his widowed sister-in-law and children as the next brother in line. He is having sex with her as if he is going to commit that act and take her as his wife. And the scriptures literally say... At the, or at the moment of climax, he pulls out and ejaculates on the ground in order to avoid the chance, the odds of getting her pregnant so they need to be stuck with her. He's not taking care of her. He's not taking her as a wife. He's using this woman. Did I, just, did I say anything out of context, gentlemen, that's not taken directly out of the scriptures? I don't believe so. No. I'm guessing a lot of you that have never studied the Bible are probably hearing about a lot of this for the first time. And probably have only heard the really nice stuff. There's a lot of really nice stuff. And there's a lot of really tough stuff. Because the Bible is the truth, including the truth about who we are, what we're capable of. Let me throw one more in. Woman loses her husband. Her father-in-law refuses to take care of her as a part of her own family, his own family. She disguises herself as a prostitute on the path where he liked to go and commit adultery with prostitutes. He purchases his daughter-in-law as a prostitute, has sex with her, gets pregnant, and she she wants to get pregnant on purpose so that he'll then have to accept responsibility for her and take care of her. This sounds like reality show stuff. The Bible does not hide who we really are. And I wanted to give the context of that because I know there's a good portion of believers in the audience that they just can't even with the stuff that Aaron was just talking about was on television last night. And, and I'm not saying that we should propagate or perpetuate or market obscenity, okay? What I am saying, though, is when we are confronted with it, we have a better answer than, I can't even. That's just so offensive. That's disgusting. We're disgusting. We're fallen. We're sinners. Our sin corrupts every 
square inch of this creation, everything we touch. Someone asked me the other day, so Steve, we go start a third party. What's to stop that from getting corrupted? My answer, nothing. It will have to be replaced too. Everything we touch. It's a law of human nature. Eventually, anything we touch depreciates in value from the moment we touch it. It's The clock is ticking. Some endeavors will stay more faithful over time than others, but eventually will lose their way. Because we do. We're lost. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. When you listen to any other voice, we go astray. And right now in our culture, there's a lot of other voices. So I, I don't believe Jesus would say, uh, that we should avoid this topic. We should act like these things don't happen. We should try to apply an antibacterial wipe to it or some form of antiseptic Christian moralese prudity. I think he'd address it head on. I think he would address it head on by pointing out the purpose of God's law. What is it you think, Mr. Trump, what more could God have granted you? You have a beautiful wife. You have an empire. You govern an empire on top of your own. You have children who love you, who for the most part, despite the circumstances and spotlight in which they've been raised, have not really embarrassed you. You know, we don't hear about their kids in the tabloids. I know one of the sons is going through a divorce right now. That's been the only hint. We haven't even had a Obama kid with a doobie with any of the Trump kids. Stop and think about that. What more, what is it, what is it in your life you don't have that you're so discontented that you would risk it all for this kind of behavior? I know what you don't have, Jesus would say. What you need the most. And it's not another orgasm, and it's not another experience, and it's not another title, and it's not another victory, and it's not another symbol of recognition. It's me. It's your purpose for being. You're chasing after all of these things, vain imaginings. And it clearly doesn't satisfy you. That's why you're risking everything you have built and been blessed with over the course of your 70 years of life on this earth. For what? The incredible stain of embarrassment your family is going through with the highest rated show 60 Minutes has done in a decade. Hearing about you in all kinds of tawdry behavior. Looking back on it now, probably doesn't seem, however, however pleasurable that experience was, it probably doesn't seem now like it was worth it, does it? Most men would look at you, Donald, and say, I want to be you. You are what most men wish they were in their flesh. And yet it's not enough. You're not satisfied. Why? Maybe because there's more to life than the experience. Maybe there's more to life than the accomplishment, the pleasure. Maybe that's not even a real life at all.
And I think Jesus would look at the people on both sides of this politically. We'd hear the word hypocrite a lot. A reporter who was living, I mean, the man who did this report last night is living in sexual rebellion to God in his own life. And is exposing Trump's sexual rebellion. He's a hypocrite. She's one. Miss Daniels. Miss Clifford. There's no attempt at truth here. There's just a bunch of people living in rebellion to God, trying to come up with some angle to their rebellion that makes it, that redeems it in some way, that justifies it in some way. There's only one, redemption's only found in one person. That's Jesus. You're wasting your time. That's why your attempts to redeem each other on your own just bring out the worst in each other. You look like a bunch of hypocrites, broods of vipers, dens of thieves, blind leading the blind. This guy over here living in sexual rebellion to God is doing an expose about the president living in sexual rebellion to God, while a bunch of Christians want to pretend it doesn't matter that the president that they voted for is living in sexual rebellion to God. And then these liberals over here who have been advocating living in sexual rebellion to God now want to castigate the Christians permitting their own candidate to living in sexual... Just all hypocrite, hypocrite all. Every last one of you. And that is where... I think he shows up in the street, begins writing in the dirt, and says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And then looks and says, now go and sin no more. You're not interested in holding each other to God's standard. You're interested in violating your own for your own benefit. Ironically, The spirit of the age is you take my words in Matthew 7, judge not lest you be judged out of context. You are fulfilling what I said in Matthew 7. For by the same standard you judge others, so shall you also be judged. These people are all judging each other with the standard they've been falsely judging one another. And now it's being that same judgment foisted on each and every one of them themselves. What do you think, gentlemen? Jesus wept. That's what I think. Uh, I'm actually... The image in my head, after Aaron just briefly summed up uh, the news of yesterday regarding 60 Minutes, and uh, you mentioned, as I did on the television show, that the popularity... Uh, 60 Minutes was greater than at any time in a decade, so what that says about us, it's the image in Passion of the Christ. When Jesus is sent over to see Herod. And the way Mel Gibson paints that picture is something akin to the, um, the bar scene um, on Tatooine. Just it's a brothel. I mean, there's he, Herod seems half mad, um, half drunk. 
uh, he's just surrounded by half-clothed women. It's there's like a petting zoo surrounding him. I think there's like a jackal on a chain or something like that. That's that's us. And Herod is Trump. And we just laugh at a man who is asked. Uh, questions about who he is but with no the questions are taunting they are not filled with spirit they are not humble and so Jesus stands there in silence um, that that's where I am at all this uh, he uh he knows what they deserve in that moment, and words at that point were for a different time. They were for the time of the prophets. They were for the time, as he said uh, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, I've been preaching in the streets all these many years. Why, why did you not come for me then? Why aren't you cover, covering for me? Cover of darkness now was the time for nothing but action, and the only action that would matter is his death on a cross so I we are um, I, w with this madness all of us should be at shake the dust from your feet that this cannot be salvaged short of the grace of God and the grace of God cannot and will not work through the paradigms we insist on it working on uh, politically speaking we keep pounding a square peg into a round hole with team GOP or team what have you uh, that that God will not be mocked. He does use sinners, but he will not use this ridiculous jalopy of a political system that we have constructed so proudly for ourselves and uh, endorse better than Hillary. He won't do it, no matter how much we insist. So he sits there silently. There is... On the other side of this, though, as wicked and awful and as harmful and as destructive as this is for Donald Trump, he's hurting himself, he's hurting his family, his son, his obviously his wife, his children— that is uh, that is destruction. And as awful as this is, though, there is always forgiveness and redemption, though, at the cross. There's always grace for those who ask for it and who repent. And no, it's not just a specific teaching of some sort of denomination that you have to repent of your sin sins. Jesus says, take up your cross, or it says, take up your cross and follow me. There's, you, you have to be repentant, turning us away from your sins to be, to, to, to reach forgiveness, to have forgiveness and full um, grace. But in the meantime, there's still, there's still earthly ramifications, penalties 
for for your own sin. David, after conceiving a child out of wedlock with Bathsheba, loses the child. And David it's, paints a not-so-pretty pa- picture of the grief that David goes through. There are still always going to be ramifications for your own actions this side of heaven. But there is grace and redemption as well. Unfortunately, I don't see any evidence that Donald Trump understands that or cares about it. He's never asked God for forgiveness. He said that himself. So it's not us that's condemning Trump. That's not the point here. That's not the point in any of this. The, the point is, what, does, what would Jesus say about this? What does Jesus say about this? And as Steve just pointed out, over the last 20 minutes it's not a pretty it's not a pretty picture at all i think the harshest words jesus would have would be going to what you said there at the end Aaron this religious council trump has around him nowhere to be found to call him to public repentance accountability we're a long way away from john the baptist Screaming at Herod in the streets about having sex with his brother Philip's wife. A long way from that. We're now, instead instead of John the Baptist screaming at Herod in the streets, we've now got Christian leaders who go on Fox News and proclaim, quote, mulligans. Okay? So, I I think, because I know I'm going to get these emails. Some of you are like, you're not being mean enough. Oh, I, I think some venom would be spewed and I'd start with the names on that Evangelical Advisory Council. I'd start with those names. I think they'd be looking to run and hide faster than you can say Pharisee. I think hammers dropped. People in fetal positions. Woe to you, I think, would be heard a lot. And you go to the book of Ezekiel once more, and one of the things God says to the prophet Ezekiel is... I have appointed you as a watcher on the wall. You are my watchman. And and you are to tell the people what is right and what is wrong. If the people do wrong, they will pay for their own sins. But if they do wrong because you did not tell them what was right or wrong, you will pay too. You want that responsibility? That's why Proverbs warns you many times, be careful about sitting at the king's table. You want that seat at the table? Okay. Here's the responsibility that goes along with it. And as his brother James said, that the, the teacher gets double honor, but also double the responsibility. You're sitting there. What are you advising? You're not in a council. You're shills. You're blind guides. I think that's what he would say. I think that would be, you want, you want, you want your fired up, Jesus? I think you'd get it. And I think the target would be that council. Let's tackle one more issue before we get out of here. That, I knew that was going to come up first, and it required, I think, a longer conversation. Let's try to get one more. How about the kids' march, Aaron? Yeah, March for Our Lives happened this weekend. It was a march, an anti-gun march, and uh, the children of Parkland spoke, uh, had many speeches, and they were 
uh, I thought, refreshingly honest about the, um, about the tyranny that they actually want. When they give us that inch, that bump stock ban, we will take a mile. When politicians send their thoughts and prayers with no action, we say no more. People demand a law banning the sale of assault weapons. The people demand we prohibit the sale of high capacity magazines. The people demand universal background checks. Stand for us or beware, the voters are coming. We need to arm our teachers. We need to arm them with pencils, pens, paper, and the money they need. They need that money to support their families and to support themselves. There was a sign being held up by one of the marchers, didn't look like a student, said, Is freedom, quote-unquote, more important than safety? That pretty much sums up the entire event. I think Jesus would confront this from the angle of what makes you presume you will do better with these questions than previous generations? When you have missed the sign of the times. Why do these questions, debates rage on generation after generation? Why does it seem as if nothing ever really gets addressed? Why are you, why are, these speeches have happened in your culture before. You're giving virtually the same speeches in the same frenzied environment that your grandparents were giving back in the 1960s in previous generations. There's nothing new under the sun. See, you are, you, 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 you don't see the truth here. Why is there evil in the world? Is human nature basically good? What, what makes you special? What makes you able to fix society's problems that previous generations could not? How many of you, you haven't had children? You haven't had to pay a mortgage? You haven't had to have a job? You've lived no life of adult responsibility whatsoever. So what makes you think you are better equipped to tackle these multi-generational problems when what I hear is exactly the same fallacy previous generations fell for. That you, as one of your leaders recently said, that you are the people you've been waiting for. That you're the next generation that will save us from our sins. That you can be your own savior, that you can be your own deliverer, that you can be your own Messiah, and you can't. You're just as prone to the same foolishness, myopia, selfishness, wickedness, sinfulness, dishonesty, deception, violence, that previous generations who believed the same were prone to as well. All of the institutions you're up there clamoring for failed you at your school. The police, the federal government, you want them to come and collect people's guns? The same federal government that didn't respond in multiple different avenues to the threats of what you guys were being targeted with at your school? Oh, I get it. You're special people. 
put people like you in charge and suddenly these things will work the way they're supposed to. You have, you, you have rejected the most important truth of them all. Sin is in the world because people are in the world and people are sinful. And I've come to save you from your sins, to give you a new life, a new purpose, a new direction, a new way of seeing things, a transformational existence that will change what you see and what you seek. Otherwise, this is sound and fury signifying nothing. We've heard this all before. Same sages of the age that have proclaimed these truths sometimes more eloquently and sometimes even louder than you have. What are your thoughts, Todd? Uh, He would respond to that sign about safety instead of freedom, uh, saying, "I, I come not to bring peace but a sword. And he would piggyback on that. With ye not the day or the hour. Uh, and he talked to them as the children he loves, uh, but must chastise and say that, uh, and simply ask them, were you prepared for me in that moment? We keep, what do we keep calling them? Um, not fic- survivors? Mm-hmm. The survivors. Were you prepared in that moment? Are you prepared for me now, after that moment? Where would you yet be struck to be prepared for me? Uh, We are living in a time yet, as much as we are frowning today on the state of our nation, we are still surrounded by such remarkable security when there are still people alive on this earth who have tattoos on their arms because they were at Auschwitz and their entire people were rounded up and uh, the attempt was made to exterminate them. Uh, There is what happened in in Southeast uh, Asia. There's what's happened in China. Uh, We live in such a time of grotesque comfort that we don't ask ourselves that question. We delay childhood so far into the future, and one of the marks of genuine adulthood isn't paying the bills or anything. It, that is certainly there, but it's to ask that question or, or to deal with that reality. Ye know not the day or the hour. Uh, it's funny, you, Steve, you called me uh, last night uh, to read something to me, and the reason I didn't pick up the phone instantly is because my family uh, and I uh, uh, were praying, and what you wrote was almost identical to what my family were praying about. The difference between Palm Sunday and Good Friday. The, the title is Five Days. What happened? Welcoming people in, uh, Jesus in as a prayed five days later, wanting him dead. That's inside all of us. That's what we must deal with when we look at that in the mirror. You know, not the day nor the hour. We, when that even comes across our windshield, we push that aside because of our addictions uh, to excess, because we are five closer, far closer, most of us, to the Good Friday people uh, than, the, than the, the, at least the 
whatever good, whatever was genuine there on Palm Sunday, uh, even if we were lying to ourselves on that day, uh, to some, and many of us would have, uh, th- that is something uh, that we can't even as a people uh, really appreciate anymore. We are so much closer to Good Friday calling for Jesus uh, to be killed. I think he would say something to the effect of uh, wicked and perverse generation. How long do I have to to be around you? Um, taking this out of the context of you know, gun control, what what these kids are really putting on display is human pride, which is the root of every other sin. And to be quite, quite more specific, it's really hubris. To your point, Steve, what makes you think that you you're better prepared than than anybody else? to answer these questions? What makes you so special that you can take on these answers? The crowd, when, when Jesus said wicked and perverse generation, brought this, brought this demon-possessed boy to Jesus, saying your disciples couldn't heal him. These people have been following Jesus around. They've been seeing him work miracles, and yet they still didn't believe. Unbelief is not the sign is, is not the root of sin. It says the demons believe and they tremble. It's pride and hubris. And that's what Jesus is rebuking here, not their disbelief. It's their own pride. And that's what was on display this weekend. Hubris. Come, let's build a tower together. We'll reach up to the heavens. We're going to solve all these problems. We're going to have a utopia here. That's what we saw this weekend. Nothing more and nothing less. It's the same old shtick uh, that we've, we've heard in just different forms through the many decades and centuries. We're going, we're going to achieve something here apart from God by our own power and in our own image. I think that's what really we saw. Well, <clears throat> I know this was a little subdued. Some of that is my own fault. I I've have to preserve my voice today, so um, we gave you sort of the acoustic version today. I think with another day of recovery, I might be able to yell at you as much as I usually do. <laughs> So I want to thank everybody for tuning in here today. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Don't forget to check out the CRTV show today, promo code Dace, at CRTV. Until tomorrow, John 317. Steve Dace. I like you.